Conspiracy theories are most often a smokescreen to divert us from the true evil. My dad was right. This family's money is dirty. Imagination is far more fascinating than reality. Welcome to Working for Uncle Henry, the podcast. I'm the series author and your narrator, Angela Mullins. Henry makes a dead drop in a cemetery. Chapter 26 Henry turned away as if addressing the wall. I have made great effort to atone for my father's sins. These, anyway. Together with the art registry, we've been able to return many items to their rightful owners. But the gold had been melted down into bars, and there were other financial assets. Hitler was a very wealthy man, you know, and we certainly weren't going to return that. So you just kept it? That's what built this house? That's what our trust funds are from? Hitler's money? Not entirely. My father's treasure hunting was not exclusive to Nazi Europe. All of it was combined and invested. Invested. That's what we live off of, then? To some degree, yes, but not everything my father obtained was so notorious. Parker paced and shook his head. His fingers brushed through his short hair. My dad was right. He turned to address his uncle eye to eye. This family's money is dirty. I never should have come here. Your father doesn't want to see the good in this family. Eric Hoffer said we are least open to precise knowledge concerning the things we are most vehement about. Henry raised his index finger to punctuate his declaration. If one looks hard enough, one can find a devil behind every door and a conspiracy around every corner. One sees what he wants to see or allows to be planted in his mind. It's like a blind man in a dark room searching for a black cat that isn't there and finding it. He gazed at the perpetual motion model on his desk and spun it into action. I need time to think about all this. Parker turned and left with Henry gazing at the rotating motion of the model. Willow Hill Cemetery lay over the highest spot in Rolling Rivers. It was a typical town cemetery with a variety of small headstones mixed among the large, elaborate monuments, some adorned with granite urns, obelisk pyramids, and Masonic emblems. A few of the recent headstones were of the more modern black marble, but most were light gray, engraved with common names like Baker and Jones, along with the occasional unusual names of Bertishaw and Fuquay. There was the occasional flag on a veteran's grave, and flower arrangements lay on a few others, but for the most part, that seemed to not be a common thing anymore. On an elevated patch in the northwest corner stood a marble mausoleum, shaded on each side by two of the cemetery's largest weeping willows. A boxwood-lined brick pathway led up to the two slender iron gate-like double doors. Above it, elegantly etched in the marble, was the name Archer. It was a private place. Normally, the doors were securely locked. Today, they were ajar. Henry placed a lovely bouquet of yellow roses below the crypt marker of Carolyn Archer. His father, whose marker was to the left, had always lavished her with roses. She had preferred the yellow ones, but loved them all. 
mainly, she said, because it meant Samuel had returned home once again from his many travels. Henry wondered if they were really as happy as they had seemed. No matter now, he thought, and perched himself on the concrete bench in the middle of the Archer family mausoleum and waited. The setting sun's rays illuminated the stained-glass window of Melchizedek that filled the back wall. It was no coincidence that one of the most mysterious characters of the Bible had been chosen to adorn this final resting place. Across the top of the window was inscribed King of Peace, and across the bottom, Melchizedek, King of Salem. Streaks of blues and reds from his robe spilled onto the floor, stretching closer to Henry's feet as if watching over him. Henry surveyed all the empty slots surrounding him. The mausoleum was constructed with two rows of three on each side. Ten spaces inside remained empty for the three archer children, the five grandchildren, and two remaining for future generations. Plots for extended family were arranged on the grounds outside, everything particularly prepared in anticipation of their eventual deaths. From the top of a nearby tree, a lone bird called out, interrupting Henry's morbid thoughts. Footsteps on the brick walkway were followed by the low squeak of the iron doors. He watched Izu Patel close the gated door behind him, then turn back to the empty grave slot in front of him. The echo of the young man's footsteps on the marble floor drew nearer. Paying your respects, sir? Izu asked, taking a seat beside Henry. Not enough of that takes place in today's world, he eventually replied, maintaining his straight-ahead stare. No, sir, there ain't. They sat quietly, looking everywhere except at each other, including regular glances out the gated door for others who might chance to wander by. Have you learned anything new about the world? Henry asked cryptically. Izu cast his eyes toward the gate once again before answering. The Zachary's are responsible. She, Isabella Zachary, is running the troll farm from out of the third floor of the rec room. I finally met her. She's a piece of work. Izu was the perfect plant for this operation. Even with mastering southern dialect, something inside him needed a release. He had found that release in trolling forums and message boards as a teenager, an activity he continued and refined through college and managed to keep secret as well. He was not the sadist, angry type of troll. His anonymous comments tended toward the humorous and distracting. But for a conspiracy theorist introvert, the anonymity was gold. And then there was the occasional underlying read-between-the-lines message in many of his posts. He had learned the art of being cryptic himself. Henry discovered Izu while keeping tabs on Parker's movements in college. Realizing Izu's many online and technical talents, Henry recruited him with a job offer at the beginning of his senior year. Initially, Izu's main responsibility was to report on Parker's activities, but he was eventually trusted with development and cyber sleuthing assignments, many of which required him to venture onto the dark web or disappear from public life on occasion. And their target, Henry asked, sticking strictly to the business at hand. Well, that's hard to say, man. I mean, sir, it don't make sense. Henry grunted. You let me worry about making sense of it. Well, I can't make out whose side they're on, you see, or what agenda they're pushing. One day I go in and they have assignments trolling Republicans, the next day Democrats. 
the next socialists, then Christians, then Muslims, and neo-Nazis. It's like they're trying to make everybody mad, man. You see, sir, there's no pattern to it, no rhyme, no reason. It's like chaos, Henry interjected. When something small and seemingly insignificant yields an unexpected large dynamic change. He was talking to himself more than to Ezu. He rubbed his thick mustache and stared straight ahead through narrowed thinking eyes. Good work. Message me when you learn more. Encrypted, of course. Of course. Ezu stood up to leave and then looked back. There is one other thing. I, I'm pretty sure I saw a blockchain calculation running on some of them computers. Henry grunted and smiled, but the smile faded quickly into deeper thoughts. Electricity consumption for that should display a discernible spike. I could... Ezu's eyes cut side to side again, checking for passers-by. Sneak a peek at the power company's records. Yes, you could. Ezu nodded and closed the gate behind him. Chaos, Henry repeated to himself, then nodded. He traced one of his formulas in the air in front of him. You have to have chaos before you can sell peace. Yes. He took a pen and small notebook from his coat pocket and drew a series of oblong concentric swirls that ended up in the shape of a butterfly. He tore the page out and folded it into a triangle like a small version of a paper football. Henry exited the mausoleum and strolled across the pebbled walkways and grass beneath which the former residents of Rolling Rivers rested. Open spots were few and far between now. There would have to be an expansion soon. He made a mental note that more property would have to be purchased. He made his way to the other side of the graveyard under a darkening sky and a light layer of upsloped fog creeping up from the marshes below, as it sometimes did. He had long since ceased being uneasy in such a macabre atmosphere. Very little frightened him anymore. He stopped in front of a tombstone adorned with an open Bible. Engraved in the granite was Matthew 25:21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Henry still enjoyed the irony of a dead drop in a cemetery. He wedged the folded note into a crack underneath the Bible. It was one of three places he occasionally left messages, the others being the palm of Jesus' hand in the middle of the cemetery, a little hard for him to climb up to now, and inside a large cement urn in another section. He rarely used that one anymore because sliding the lid aside had gotten more difficult with age. The next step was to send Carlisle a scripture passage to signal the location of the message. He liked challenging Carlisle to search the Bible for clues. So Ezu's working for Henry. Now that relationship is layered like an onion throughout this series of books. You can read them from the purchasing links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Next time, Jennifer is missing and Parker is sent to find her.